Hey guys, I want to take a second and tell you about a show that I think you will love. The Fall Line is a deep dive true crime podcast focused on missing people, unsolved homicides, and unidentified persons whose cases have gotten little, if any, media attention. Recent episodes include the Twiggs County John Doe, the Justice for Georgia Lee Moses movement, and the murder of Geraldine DeLoach. There are also interviews with experts like Todd Matthews of the Doe Network and Anita Lucchese, the creator of the first database to record cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people. Through narrative storytelling, primary and archival research, and expert and family interviews, The Fall Line introduces listeners to victims and survivors they've never heard of, and explores the reasons why their cases were ignored in the first place. I actually did a panel with Laura Norton from the Fault Line podcast about ethics and true crime, and I have to say, this is a show I support 100%. Look for new releases of the Fault Line on Wednesdays, wherever you listen to podcasts. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of Jesse Grace Moore. Jessie was 23 years old when she went missing from Wenatchee, Washington on June 20th, 2016. On that same day, a man recorded a very disturbing video of her and posted it to social media. When her family saw this video, they were stunned because not only had most of Jessie's hair been shaved off, but there were also some odd designs shaved into both sides of her head. After a recanted witness statement, this is now the last confirmed sighting of Jesse. Frustrated by a lack of answers and progress, Jesse's mom actually infiltrated the very dark and dangerous world of the people that she believes may have been responsible for her daughter's disappearance. And Jesse's sister Brittany has been trying so hard to share this case on social media for years. Once I heard the details of this case, how hard the family has been fighting, and how dedicated the detective is to finding Jesse, I knew I had to help. So I connected with Brittany to help me understand some of the crazy twists, turns, and evidence in this case a bit more. This is the story of Jesse Grace Moore, or Jesse Rubio Manihano, which was her legal name from a previous marriage. However, her family has asked that I use the name Jessie Grace Moore, so I will be honoring that request in this episode. But just in case you come across her legal name in your own research, I wanted to make sure that you know it's the same Jessie. I do have to give a shout out to Justin Rimmel from the Mysterious Circumstances podcast for connecting me with Jessie's sister, Brittany. There is very little coverage of this case, so you will be hearing from her a lot in this episode. You will also hear from Jesse's mother, Sherry, and the current detective on the case, Steve Evett. I do want to mention that Brittany does have her own YouTube channel under the name Brittany Jewel, where she covers Jesse's case in depth, and she's given me permission to pull audio from these videos. But if you want to dig deeper into this case, I 
definitely recommend checking out her channel. It will be linked in the show notes. Here is a clip from Britney's first YouTube video, giving a very honest and in-depth overview of Jessie's childhood and what she's like. My sister was a beautiful, beautiful human being. She would give the clothes off her back to anyone who needed it. She really had a heart of gold and she cared so much and so deeply about people. She was very childlike. Like, like she had the spirit of a child, very youthful, very fun-loving. She was a great person, there's really no other way to put it. So I couldn't possibly describe my sister in a matter of minutes. As most people, she was complex. She had a lot of layers. And it's truly crazy that she's gone. And I want to do keep the integrity of my sister in everything that I do and be as respectful as possible. But I feel like I can't tell her disappearance without talking about what led up to it. So that's what I'm gonna get into kind of right now. So Jesse and I are two years and four days apart. And as little as I can rem remember you guys, so she was about five, like she had just gone into kindergarten when we were living on the west side in Bremerton, which is close to Seattle. So on her first day of kindergarten, she was riding the school bus to school and the principal, whoever, called my mom and I remember vividly like being with my mom and her getting this phone call and they're like, Jessie mooned someone on the bus. Like she mooned kids on the bus and so my mom had to like go deal with that and that was kind of the beginning of her behavioral issues. She was always it seemed in trouble for something. The school was always calling my mom about something and and I'm not trying to paint Jessie in a bad light by talking about her issues and her behavioral issues. I'm just trying to say that a lot of people can relate to that when there is a young kid in your life that kind of has like that those social issues, those behavioral issues and acts out a lot and no one knows how to quite handle it. I mean, there are like guidebooks, but you're kind of on your own. And my mom didn't know how to handle it, you guys. She did her absolute best, but it was so much on us. So when Jessie was six, she was put on medication. She was diagnosed with ADHD and ODD. So she was put on medication around six or seven, I wanna say and then was later as an adult diagnosed with bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, um, severe depression, and suicidal tendencies. So when she, so we kind of dealt with all those issues of her being in trouble in school, her acting out, and then when she was 11, she, the big catalyst kind of happened because she was sexually abused. And I didn't feel comfortable talking about this, but my mom said it's, important to mention so she was abused by her boyfriend's mom and his mom actually went to prison for it and is a registered sex offender so then shortly after that my sister went to juvie for the first time when she was 11 years old and she was actually the youngest person to ever go to our juvenile facility in the place that we live so, I mean, it's just interesting to note, to think of an 11-year-old going to juvie, she was in fifth grade, and just to be dealing with everything she was dealing with. 
So from the ages of 13 to 17, she was in and out of juvenile facilities and then was actually sent away to a correctional facilities. And she spent a total of, I believe, 18 months uh, in between. She went to the same facility twice and then a different facility another time. So she was sent away three times. And you guys, when she would come back, it was like we would all be so anxious and have to lock, our, get locks for our doors, lock everything up because she would steal from us, pawn our stuff. She would, I mean, when she came back one time, she actually stole a car. So she had a grand theft auto charge before her 18th birthday. So it was pretty hectic all the time in our household when she would come around. And when she was 18, like on her, I think, the summer of her 18th birthday she actually got married so just right away as soon as she turned 18 and if anyone knows anything about borderline personality disorder you get attached to people of the opposite sex or the people that you know you're attracted to very quickly and she kind of got hung up with this guy and married him and later that year i think when she turned 19 she had my nephew my oldest nephew and she was using when she was pregnant with him and I'm not trying to paint her in a bad light at all you guys I just think it's all so important to know and a lot of people can relate to this story a lot of people have that in their life a person that you know slips up or just it doesn't seem like they can do right and she did get her act together and I'm gonna get into that in a minute one of the reasons I wanted to cover Jessie's case in the first place is because this right here is where people write her off without even hearing details of her case. In large part because of Jessie's extensive history struggling with mental illness, her family has found it nearly impossible to get people to pay attention. They don't see that she was trying her best to fight it. They don't see that two children are now missing their mother. They just see these issues. With May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I really wanted to be a voice for Jessie and help bring awareness to her case. Because no matter what she struggled with, she deserves to be found. Support for Voices for Justice comes from Madison Reed. I don't know about you guys, but I have not stepped foot in a salon for over a year at this point. And I'm not usually vain about a lot of things, but I love my hair. It took so long to grow out, so I'm always trying to do whatever I can to make sure that it's strong and keeps on growing. I've been using Madison Reed products for months now, and I've had a chance to try a lot of their products, and I have to say that every single one of them has been amazing for my hair. I love the Color Reviving Gloss. It gives my hair this new type of dimension without damaging it. And at this point, I think that I've tried all of their Pro Boost treatments. They have one for locking in color, they have one for shine, they have one for hydration, and one for strength. And it's super easy to rotate those in and out depending on what your specific hair needs are. But of course, Madison Reed is also known for their permanent hair color, which you can get delivered right to your door. But I think one thing that a lot of people overlook about Madison Reed is on their website, you can use their virtual hair color makeover tool. So if you're a little nervous about dyeing your hair like I always am, it's really fun to play around. You can upload your picture and change your hair color virtually. It's a really cool product. And what really makes Madison Reed color unique is that it's crafted by master colorists. 
They blend these nuances of light, dark, warm, and cool to create over 55 different gorgeous multi-dimensional shades. Voices for Justice listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code VOICES4JUSTICE. That's code VOICES4JUSTICE. At the age of 19, Jesse had her first child, a baby boy. But when he was born, they found drugs in his system, so he was immediately taken from Jesse's custody and has been raised by her mother, Sherry, ever since. This appears to have been a huge catalyst for Jesse to turn her life around. By the age of 20, Jesse stopped using drugs and was pregnant again, this time with a little girl. Unfortunately, Jesse went into premature labor and ended up losing the baby. No drugs were present in her system. This was obviously devastating for her, but she tried her best to stay on track. By the age of 21, Jessie would give birth to her third child, another baby boy. During this pregnancy, Jessie was trying her best to get her life together. She ended up getting and keeping a steady job at McDonald's, and she was extremely proud of herself. But ultimately, after suffering a fall on the job, her hours were reduced and she was eventually taken off the schedule altogether. Despite this setback, Jessie managed to get her own apartment for her and her baby boy. This was a huge deal for her, but just when it looked like the worst was behind her. According to Brittany, Jessie got a new boyfriend who was quite abusive towards her, and she unfortunately started using meth again. Her life did a complete 180 after that. She started using, slowly lost her apartment, lost custody of her son. It was a crazy time and we all felt that dark cloud coming in. We're like, Jessie, like, you can do good, please. After losing her apartment, Jessie was essentially homeless and began using meth more than she ever had before. From here, her mental health only further deteriorated. She thought she was pregnant with kittens. She was checking herself into hospitals, calling 911, like getting taken out in stretchers, you guys, calling my mom every day. And my mom actually has all the phone records to verify that. And it's interesting because two weeks before she went missing, she checked herself into the hospital and she was actually, she actually tested positive for Rufalin. And the nurse told my mom, I think she's being drugged beyond the normal usage of what the crystal she was using, something else is going on. If you aren't familiar, because honestly, I had to look it up to make sure it was the same thing, Rufalin is Ruhefnol, more commonly known as the date rape drug. Brittany and her mother, Sherry, believe that Jessie went missing on June 20th, 2016. On this day, Jessie's mother, Sherry, got a call from a counselor at Catholic Family Services. This counselor and Sherry agreed that Jessie needed to be placed into a facility. This way, Jessie could hopefully get a better handle on her mental health and addiction. At this time, Sherry and Brittany locate Jessie, and it's agreed by all that Jessie will enter treatment the same day. The last memory Sherry and Brittany have of Jessie is telling her that they love her and watching her walk towards the treatment center. According to Brittany, it was the policy of this center that newly admitted patients were not able to contact anyone outside of the center for a full seven days. So at the end of this seven-day period, Sherry calls Jessie to ask how everything went. 
but there's no answer. This doesn't immediately alarm Sherry, but she does start to poke around, asking her friends if they might know where she is. And once they start to become concerned, Sherry becomes very concerned. Here's a clip from Brittany's YouTube channel of Sherry talking more about this. Well, okay, so Jessie's friends have always been really great about helping her out by letting me know where she's at when it comes down to it. And so um, on the 20, I didn't hear from her on the 27th, so I kind of started asking around. I had talked to her, Lisa, your guys' bonus mom. She was concerned. I was concerned. Uh, I threw out on Facebook, on her Facebook, hey, you know, looking for Jessie. And then the next day I was a little bit more forceful about it. And then they started messaging me and they were worried. At that point, I became very worried because if, to me, if they're worried and they don't know where she's at, there's a problem somewhere. Yeah. And so I kind of waited for that. And so the next morning I called um, the Wenatchee Police Department and made a report. Not long after realizing that something was seriously wrong, a video of Jessie was posted to social media. It was at this time that her family realized that Jessie never checked into the treatment facility. This video was filmed on the last day that Brittany and Sherry saw Jessie, presumably not long after she was dropped off at the facility. It was recorded in Centennial Park in Wenatchee. Brittany asked that I not use the audio from that video in this podcast, but she has given me permission to tell you about it. In the video, you can see Jessie sitting cross-legged in a white t-shirt and khaki-colored shorts. And you can hear a man state, quote, You are tired as hell. You're tired. You need rehab. And a sandwich. And Jesus. End quote. And while he's saying that to Jessie, she's just kind of sticking out her tongue and laughing at him. There's also a lot of cursing and indication that Jessie was most likely not in her right mind. We get some pretty important clues from this video. Of course, we get her location. But it's also important to note that Jessie didn't have any bags with her. This was strange to Brittany and Sherry because Jessie was homeless at the time. She was always carrying bags with her from place to place because she literally didn't have anywhere to store them. Last, we discover that Jessie's head has been shaved in a very peculiar way. Here is Brittany talking about the video and Jessie's shaved head. And just knowing that she was missing and then seeing that video surface, I can't really explain uh, what, what we felt in that moment or what I felt. It was just complete horror and shock because we didn't know her head had been shaved. And we still don't know to this day who did that, if she did that to herself. And to hear what is said in the video it, it symbolizes a lot. It kind of symbolizes how Jessie was treated in life because of her mental health issues, because of her drug abuse. And that is the last piece of Jessie we have. So this is kind of where the detective uh, and my family's ideas may differ. So I think there's something to this and that I think someone did that to her in my personal opinion, because Jesse and I were always like, we could never grow our hair. And so our hair was almost sacred to us growing up and, um, to shave, she didn't have a ton of hair, so it wasn't very long. So the fact that it was shaved, us uh, that alone struck me as very odd. 
and then things shaved into her head uh even you know that goes even further so 13 lines I believe are on the right side that's what I see 13 strikes going down and then on the other side what I see is the letters SIC and the detective thinks that there could be nothing to this because Jesse was using you know she had mental health issues and maybe she just did this to herself um, because of the state she was in if that makes sense. At the end of the video, Jesse begins walking south down Wenatchee Avenue. This is officially the last sighting of Jesse on June 20th. But like I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, there was a sighting of her that was later recanted. So someone had called the police, uh, the tip line, and said that they had seen Jesse on June 23rd of 2016 on South Wenatchee Avenue, um, getting into a late 80s Buick, possibly, with two Hispanic men, and they were in the front, uh, so the driver's seat and the passenger seat, and then Jesse got into the back of the vehicle. Um, they later, uh, I'm not sure what date they came forward and said that they, they recanted their statement. They said they had actually not seen this. And we, as the family, have no idea why why they recanted it. It could be something trivial. It could be something more serious. Possibly they were threatened. Um, and yeah. Did they give a better explanation to the police? Is that something the police are just kind of holding back on telling the family right now or does no one know? Uh, they withhold that information. In addition to this recanted sighting, during this week or so that Jesse was presumed to have been at the treatment center, something else happens. A woman finds Jesse's wallet and mails it back to the address on her ID, which was her mother Sherry's house. Now, she says that at this time, she didn't really think anything of it because Jesse was always losing her wallet and her ID. But ultimately, like the video, it does give us a few small clues. Here is Sherry talking more about this. I received her wallet, and it had um, some papers in it and two of her IDs. Mm, okay. And, yeah, and the wallet was torn up, so I literally thought she lost her wallet, so I took her ID out and was going to get another wallet because I, I threw that wallet away, and I didn't think anything about it at the time because I honestly thought she was um, at a treatment center. So, and it, where was the wallet found? Well, I was told, which I don't, you know, I kind of, I don't, I'm not sure. I was told that it was found down by um, the railroad tracks, which is interesting, behind the link. So right down there at the link train station. station. The reason Sherry says it's interesting that Jesse's wallet was found near the railroad tracks is because those tracks are not too far from where Jesse was last seen walking south down Wenatchee Avenue. According to her, if you keep walking south for just a few more minutes, you run right into the railroad tracks where the wallet was found. The problem is, we don't know if Jessie had her wallet in the video. So we don't know if she was coming from the train tracks, if she went there after the man stopped recording her, or if it was possibly stolen and dumped at the tracks. It's important to note that Jessie's EBT card was missing from her wallet. Unfortunately, by the time that they realized that Jesse was missing, the wallet was long gone, and they were never able to do any type of fingerprint or DNA testing on it. This is kind of where leads start drying up. The police check Jesse's cell phone records and her bank account, and there is nothing after June 20th, 2016. 
They talk to her friends and even the guys involved in the video, and they're all cleared. There were tips that Jesse was seen in Idaho and California, but nothing panned out. It's as if Jesse just disappeared off the face of the planet. It's at this point that Cherry decides to dig deeper into Jesse's case and her lifestyle before she went missing. Here is Brittany talking more about this. How far my mom has been willing to go to find my sister, um, it's, it's been a, I don't know, I don't know how to say it correctly, it's been so hard for her, and that's an understatement, because she wants the answer. She needs that answer that this is what happened to her daughter and the places she was willing to go to find those answers was dangerous because she started hanging out with the same people Jesse was hanging out with. And these are dangerous people. These are very, very evil people that do not care about human life. And my mom was trying to infiltrate herself into these groups to get answers And she went really far and she's, you know, she's lost everything. Sherry would end up losing her job and home after pursuing Jesse's case full time. I've seen some people cast a lot of negativity on Sherry for doing what she's done in this case. I can see why some people would look at her actions and think that she's gone too far. But I have to say, I completely understand where she's coming from. If the police couldn't get the answers, she would try to get them herself. Sherry befriended everyone she thought could have been associated with Jesse's disappearance. And much to my surprise, they knew exactly who she was. I believe that they did know who she was, because uh, she was very... When Jesse went missing, my mom was talking to everybody, messaging everybody, Meeting with people, you know, everyone claims that they have a little piece of information, if only they can meet with you. So I think it was known amongst them that who she was. Oh, that's so interesting. And they just, they were like, whatever, you can still be a part of the group. We didn't do anything. Well, I think she was hanging out with people that were connected to these people. So there are possibly four to six people who were involved with, uh, Jesse's disappearance and my mom kind of was working from the outskirts in and talking to all the people because it's very connected with drugs and that whole dark underbelly of the world and she started speaking with getting information from those people and then was working her way into connecting with the people who are possibly involved with Jesse's disappearance if that makes sense. I tried to ask Brittany more about this. But she told me that since it is an open investigation, she's been advised against sharing any more details about these people or how they could be involved in Jesse's disappearance. However, there is something she was able to share. There is someone from this group that allegedly has a video of Jesse's murder, and they sent Sherry a four-second clip of it. On February 15th, 2020, Sherry posted this four-second clip to the Finding Jesse Grace Facebook group with the following caption, quote, This is a four-second clip given to us by someone we think may have been involved in Jesse's murder. We were told it is a part of the video they took when they murdered Jesse. Back in 2016, I didn't put a lot of weight into it, but I actually think it's probably a teeny bit of the video. 
we need to get the complete puzzle in place. If anyone is interested in providing the entire video, I'm interested in receiving it anonymously and or will keep your name confidential while rewarding you for turning it over. We need to see if what we have matches what you have. End quote. I have watched this clip what feels like a hundred times, and I can't make out any of the audio. And all you can really see in the video is what looks like the ground and then a tire on what looks like to me a white vehicle. But here's the audio two times in a row so you can judge for yourself. Like I said, I can't make out anything. And Brittany and Detective Evett are hesitant to believe that this clip is anything more than just a hoax. Um, I, I'm just going to be brutally honest. I have my doubts that that video exists. Yeah, it's hard when everyone has different accounts of what they've seen. It's really hard to be like, well, who's telling the truth? Uh, and with us, you know, because people message us all the time, and it's like people almost want to infiltrate themselves into the case and say that maybe they've heard that someone else saw this video, and they're like, you know what? Yeah, I saw this video too. And so it just becomes a game of telephone, essentially. Mm -hmm where everyone has seen different things and um, none of it is positive. It's not like she's, you know, skipping through a meadow or anything. And um, yeah, so I've, you know, I'm kind of under the same um, impression as well. I don't think if, if it were, like you said, if it were out there, it's long gone by now. Yeah. 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 So, all right, moving on. According to Detective Evett, they have interviewed everyone that is willing to be interviewed in this case, and they have exhausted all leads. Do you have persons of interest in Jesse's disappearance, and have they been located and interviewed? Um, as I was, as I think about that, that the, the term person of interest is really so fluid. You know, um, in a in a case where, I mean, you know, I I have I have three 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 ring binders of information, just paper, this is not not even electronic, of names and locations and you know different details about what people have said and and you know where she was last seen and you know all of that stuff. And with so many names, um, you know, person of interest, maybe that more accurately should be person who knows something about what happened. <laughs> and you got a hunch, like a feeling that they yeah. know something more, but they're just not telling right, for whatever right. reason. So that, yeah. I mean, person of interest and, and person who knows something, that's, those two are so fluid. And so, um, There have been so many people that have been interviewed, and many of those people, whether you want to call them persons of interest or persons who know something about what happened, have been inter interviewed multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, doesn't mean that there isn't a you know third, or, like I said, a third or fourth or fifth. Um, 
But I mean, I think the question was, have they been interviewed? And I would say, yeah, I would say probably all, if not most, again, Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to talk to the police. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have to add that little caveat in there. It's not, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, just because I can identify someone I need to talk to doesn't mean that they're going to be willing to talk to me. Yeah. And, and so to, to say, have, has everybody been interviewed? Yeah, probably. But I can also caveat that and say, no, eh, probably not, but... I would say it's not because I lack for lack of trying. As we've seen over several cases in this podcast, not every police department and every detective is created equally. But in my opinion, it looks like Detective Evett really cares. The fact that he was willing to sit down with Brittany and do an almost hour-long interview on Jesse's case is huge in my opinion. And we know that both Brittany and Sherry have gone above and beyond trying to share Jesse's story. But they need help from the public. From people like me and you, and especially those in the Wenatchee, Washington area around June 20th, 2016. Which leads me right to our call to action. So that segues us into the next question. Mm-hmm. So what can we do as a true, true crime community to help find missing persons? Um, probably the most, the most useful thing is just to continue to use social media. Um, even if that's something as non-evidentiary, if you will, Mm -hmm. as, uh, you know, uh, a flyer, a memory, a... You know, because we can, I mean, obviously, we, you know, anybody would have to get permission from uh, the agency, which, you know, again, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. Um, uh, but, uh, again, you never know what some posting of, of something, what, a photograph of a, I don't know, you know, who knows what it could be, but a, a reposting of something could jog somebody's memory. I, I mean... Not just jog, not even, actually more importantly than jogging a memory is is um, uh, jogging a well jogging a heartstring, if you will. Yeah, there you because go. I know. I mean, it it has to be true with all of the people that we have talked to related specifically to Je- uh, Jesse's di- um, disappearance. There are people that have lied to us. Yeah. Go figure. Well, why? (laughs) So, you know, maybe over time, I mean, things have changed in those people's lives Mm -hmm. as well, right? Change of heart. So maybe something's different. But unless, you know, by utilizing social media uh, and or other things, you know, just getting that, keeping that, in, in this case specifically, keeping Jesse's memory out there, alive, active, however you want to phrase that, mm-hmm. yeah. might at some point, maybe not today, perhaps next week. Yeah. Perhaps, I mean, who knows? I, and it's I think the that's, easiest thing you can do. You just it, hit share and then it's, it's out there. And right. you don't know. If you've got, you know, everyone you know. has however many Facebook friends, it could be that one person that's like, right. comes forward. Yeah. And yeah. And um, yeah. yeah. And thank you to all of you who have shared in, any information on Jesse, it blows my mind how many of you message me and say, 
is it okay if I share her flyer on this and this and this? And right. you know, I'll, I've said it once, I'll say it a million times, share her flyer every place that you want to. Right. We don't care. Yeah. I do every speaking event I can for Jesse. I go on anything to speak about her case. And yes, we are completely open to it. It cannot hurt anything. Please take a moment to support Brittany and her family by following the case on social media. So you could follow me on Jesse's disappearance on Instagram. My YouTube channel is Brittany Jewel, and that is where I go more in depth with Jesse's case, uh, as well as her life and obviously her disappearance. And there is the Jesse Grace Moore Facebook page if you would like to follow that for updates as well. As a reminder, Jesse Grace Moore, or Jesse Grace Rubio Montijano, was last seen on June 20th, 2016 in Centennial Park in Wenatchee, Washington. She is a white female with brown hair, green eyes, and is 5 foot 3 inches tall. When she went missing, she weighed approximately 140 pounds. Anyone with information about her disappearance is urged to call Crime Stoppers at one 800 222 tips. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit voicesforjusticepodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice.